All right, we are working this year on Sunday nights on a series called What People Want to Know About the Bible. We're talking about the topics that people in the the real world wonder about. Uh, My premise is that most of the folks that call Know Your Bible over the years uh, just want to know some real basic things about the Bible and don't want a whole lot of foolishness and confusion and double talk. I just wonder, what's the Bible say about this? Uh, yeah, there are other kinds of folks that have one hang-up or one hobby or one confusion, but most people just, what's the Bible say? And we ought to be able to give an answer for those kind of things. We ought to understand it well enough to explain it. So we're going to go through some of the main topics that people wonder about this year. And before we get to those, uh, I did a little three-part series here on how can we understand the Bible. And actually, that's one of the topics. Uh, people wonder how we can understand the Bible. Uh, we get questions like that. Uh, there's one Bible, but there's so many churches and so many different denominations. and so many. Why can't people understand it alike? Uh, so I kind of laid that groundwork to start with here. And we've done two weeks. We're going to finish it tonight. I started with four ground rules. Uh, that we got to have before we can effectively study the Bible and come to a conclusion. Uh, all Scripture is from God. Scripture alone is our sufficient authority. Uh, scripture means what it means, and our task is to figure out what it means. Uh, so if we understand those and agree on those four things, we can probably make some progress. Then last week I talked about two essential principles for unity. Uh, if we don't understand these two things, we can understand parts of the Bible, but we may never agree. And those two things are, first of all, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament's not in uh, effect today. It's not binding today. It was, but it's not. We're under the New Covenant. Uh, we don't have to do the things in the Old Testament, although it's good for us. It teaches us. It's instructive. We learn a whole lot about God in there. Uh, we can't understand the New Testament perfectly well without the Old Testament, but it's not binding on us today. We've got to understand that. And secondly, we've got to understand scriptural authority. When the Bible says something, it means exactly what it means, but... What if it doesn't say something? And that's a pretty good-sized one. We spent a little time on it last week, probably not quite enough, but uh, I'll say just a few more things tonight before we go on to our easy steps to understanding. Uh, If you go to the top of the back page on your handout where we were talking about a correct understanding of scriptural authority, I said there's three options. First one is to think about the Bible that if it's not specifically forbidden, then I can do it. Then it's permitted. And if you really think through that, or you really don't have to think very hard, if you think for just a little bit, you'll say, well, now, if that was true, then you could do almost anything. You know, uh, Because the Bible doesn't specifically forbid very much at all. Uh, it's the New Testament, especially, is not a rules of uh, list of thou shalt nots and all of that. So it doesn't forbid very much. So if you took that option, you could do almost anything. The second option is the reverse of that. If it's not specifically authorized, uh, 
then it's forbidden. Well, in that case, you could do hardly anything. Uh, because the Bible specifically authorizes a few things, but not many. Go ahead and get that. You won't bother me. Anyhow, if it's, uh, let's see, where was I? If you, if you, if you uh, option two is also unreasonable because it would allow hardly anything. So there's got to be something else. There's got to be something in between there. And that's option three, which is that when there's a command, it authorizes what it authorizes. And it excludes something else. It's got some exclusionary force. And that sounds a little technical and tricky and all that, but it's not. We we understand it. A five-year-old understands it. Three-year-old understands it. When, when you tell a child to do something, he figures this out. He may not do it. <laughs> he may argue option one or two, but he understands. Uh, and, and the best way to probably think about it, and I didn't get cover this much last week, is the way to think about it is any command. If you're going to tell somebody to do or not do Anything, it starts out at the top, it would be very general. And then it gets more and more specific as you modify it. Okay? Let me give you a few examples. If I tell you, go buy a car. Okay? That's a command. It's a very, very general command. It doesn't rule out hardly anything except trucks. (laughs) <laughs> snowmobiles, wagons, any other kind of transportation. I said a car. But suppose I say go buy a Buick. Okay? It's getting more specific now, isn't it? Okay? I've ruled out a whole lot of cars. Go back and read that. Any command authorizes only what it authorizes and has some exclusionary force. Okay? The more specific you get, the more you're ruling out. If I say go buy a white Buick, now I've ruled out blue Buicks and black Buicks and all of that, and I can keep getting more and more specific. If your doctor gives you a prescription and says, just go to the drugstore and get some uh, antibiotic, doctor wouldn't do that. That's too general. But that would allow any antibiotic. If he writes your prescription and says go get some penicillin, that rules out all the other cylinders. You got to get penicillin. <laughs> okay. If he says take two a day, do you go home and say, "Well, I'm gonna, I decide I'm going to take four a day." He didn't tell me I couldn't. Okay, that's option one or two. No, when he gives a command, whatever he commands, it, it means what it means, and it excludes anything else. Okay. If he tells you to take it two times a day, you don't go home and say, well, I think I'll just take it one time a day. Because he didn't tell me not to take it one time a day. You see, anybody can figure this out. Uh, Now, when we get to church, we make it a little harder, but it's exactly the same thing. God says, teach. Teach the Word of God. God says, assemble. 
Those are very general commands. He expects the church to assemble on Sundays. Now, what else did he tell us about that? Nothing. Uh, That's the command. Uh, Assemble, get together, be together on Sundays to worship. Okay? So, he didn't tell us where. He didn't tell us when. So, we can assemble, since he hadn't ruled it out, almost any place we want. We can assemble in a house, a field, Parking lot, a boat. Now, I realize once you get a number of Christians that want to get together, well, you've got to have a little bigger place. Yeah, you might start in a house and go to something bigger. Uh, so when people start saying, okay, now, in your church building, you've got to have this or you can't have that. Bells ought to go off. Understanding the authority of Scripture. If he tells you to assemble, by that command he authorizes you to assemble any place you want to assemble. And then if you decide we're going to assemble in this place, but I'm going to make some rules about what can be in that place, you've jumped the shark there. You know, that you've gone completely off into somewhere else. When he says assemble, he doesn't rule any place out, but you can't come up with exclusions or other, other negatives for something that he didn't even talk about. Okay? The most place we use this and the most place people in the world get confused is, I mentioned it last week, singing, acapella music. Somebody wrote in and said, tell me, show me the scripture that backs up the Church of Christ position that you can't use instrumental music. They want a verse that says you cannot use instruments. That's Option one or option two, they're arguing. Not good options. What was the command? What did God tell us to do? In the New Testament, all he says is, sing. Now, in the Old Testament, he said, praise me with song. Praise me with uh, timbrels and cymbals and lyres and all kinds of things. He included that in his command. But going back to our first principle here, Old Testament's not in effect. We're under the new. In the new, he says, sing. Okay. Now, what if the general command would have been, praise me by making music? If he'd have said that, we could use music any way we want. And there's only two ways, only two kinds of music, vocal, instrumental. Only kind there are, unless you count electronic, I guess, but we'll count that as instrumental. Vocal, instrumental. He didn't say make music to praise me. He said sing to praise me. Any command means what it means and excludes something else. So when he said sing, we think by this principle, we ought to just sing. Now, my point, think about it, if somebody doesn't, 
agree with this principle, you're never going to agree on whether to just sing or not. If somebody doesn't buy this principle, then we're not going to agree. That's why I call these principles for unity. Okay? Uh, God says teach. Okay? How do we teach? Well, what did he rule out? They didn't rule out anything. When Paul was around, how could you teach? You could go speak to somebody or you could write to somebody. The printed word and speaking. That was, that was it. Okay. 2,000 years later, we got a whole lot of other options. Okay, we can teach on the radio, we can teach on TV, we can teach in here with a PowerPoint, we can teach with a handout. Yeah. When, when people first started using PowerPoint, somebody, people got upset. They said, you can't do that in church. Well, you got to understand this principle. Go back and think through it. What did he say? He said, teach. Okay. Does a PowerPoint help? It helps some people. If it's done poorly, it can be a distraction. But that's not a God thing. That's an us thing. Okay? We may not like it if we weren't used to it for the first part of our life. But that's not a God thing. It's an us thing. Okay? Drama. Can you teach with drama? Yeah. Now, I personally don't like having a whole bunch of people up here acting out a drama like some churches do. But that can teach. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's God doesn't like it. I don't care for it. I think it wastes too much time. I think it, there's better ways to do it. But it can teach. But I could tell the same story, and that's teaching. I like that better. I like the sound of my voice. (laughs) Today, we can put that drama on video. We can show a video. It's teaching. He didn't tell us how to teach. Now, any of it can be done poorly. A preacher can preach poorly. Uh, an acted out drama, a video can be poorly done. Yeah, but that's not a God thing. Okay, so that's a little more on the scriptural authority thing. Author, any command authorizes what it authorizes has some exclusionary force. Okay, now very quickly, and uh, we can do it quickly because they're simple. Five simple steps to understanding any verse. And you can buy big books about telling you how to understand the Bible and all that. But I think it's easier than that. Uh, number one, just read the passage. Just sit down and read it. If you're reading through the Bible, start in Genesis or start with the Daily Bible or whatever. When you get to a verse, you read it. And if you say, I'm not sure what that means, read it again. Okay, Read it two or three times. You do that when you're reading any other book in the world. You don't just say, well, this is so confusing. I'm giving up. You read it again. And I said with a dictionary handy, because that will solve 90% of your problems. 
there's a word in there you don't understand. You read some authors, you need that in any, any kind of book. Yeah, I've got a book of William F. Buckley columns. You need a dictionary handy. Okay. Well, same thing in the Bible, especially depending on the translation you use. There's going to be some words you don't understand. So if you've got a dictionary handy, you look it up. If you're reading in the King James and you pick up Genesis 1 and start, all of a sudden you find this word firmament. What's a firmament? Well, open your dictionary and look. You say, oh, okay, now I know what a firmament is. Uh, it'll help you figure out what it means. You get over in the New Testament, reading Matthew 1, all of a sudden you get to where it says magi. We don't talk about magi these days. Grab your dictionary, look up magi. Get over in Romans, you're going to find uh, propitiation and reconciliation and all sorts of kind of big words. Look it up in the dictionary. Get a general concept of what it means. Read the verse again. Say, oh, okay. I got that. My point is the Bible isn't that hard to understand. Now, there's some tough stuff in it. If you got your Bible, turn over to 2 Peter 3.16. 2 Peter 3.16 is talking about my dear, our dear brother Paul. And says, dear brother Paul, writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. Now, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Okay? So as you're reading along and you use your dictionary, you're going to understand 90% of what you read. But every once in a while, you're going to find something that's hard to understand. And when you do, that's okay. <laughs> the Apostle Peter said it's tough. Yeah. I don't feel all stressed out when I can't understand a particular thing. If Peter said it was hard, I figure that's okay. I'll get there. But most of what you read, you understand real simply. The key word in there in Second Peter 3.16 is some things. Not everything. Some people believe this whole thing's hard to understand. It's not. There's some parts of it that are a little hard to understand, but some things. All right. Second, after you read it, consider the context. Now, this, if you don't get it in step one, most of the stuff you're going to get right away. Oh, I understand that. Because a lot of it is history and narrative and poetry and on and on. I understand that. Now, when you get to one that you know all the words, what it means, but you say, I'm not, I don't know what that means. Number two, consider the context. First, textual. This is probably, I think, Bill, this is probably the number one advice we ever gave on Know Your Bible. Read the context. I bet we say that every week, at least once. This answers itself if you just look at the context. The verse by itself may confuse you, but look at the context. Turn to Genesis 12. Well, you don't have to turn to it. If I told you to read the Bible and do whatever it says, and you get to Genesis 12.1, it says, leave your country. You going to do that? 
Now, you may scratch your head and say, whoa, does God really want me to leave my country? Well, if you think he does, go to step two, read the context. Oh, he wasn't talking to me. He's talking to Abraham a long time ago. I got it now. Ain't that hard. Okay. So read the context and just keep getting bigger and bigger context. If, if the verse doesn't tell you, read the verses around it. If the verses around it don't tell you, look at the paragraph that it's in. Or the, the section of the Bible. Almost everybody in here has got a Bible that's got little headings on it. Let me find one here. Uh, Luke chapter 24 says of the resurrection. And it goes from verse 1 down to verse 12. And then at verse 13, it's got a little heading that says, On the road to Emmaus. Okay? Those are pericopes. There's a technical word for it. P-E-R-I-C-O-P-E. Pericope is a uh, a section that stands by itself. Literally, it means a, a cutting out. So whoever put those in there went through and said, okay, verses 1 through 12 tell about the resurrection. So I'm going to write that above that pericope. Then verses 13 down to 35 tell about the road to Emmaus. I'm going to write that up there. Okay, so you can look at that section. Just read that where your verse is, and you can probably figure it out. If you don't get it from the pericope or the paragraph that it's in, go look at what the whole chapter is about. Okay. If you got a verse in, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and you say, I, I don't, I'm not sure what this means. Go back up and read chapter 4, the whole thing. The very first of chapter 4, it says, because of this, then. So, oh, i got to read the first three chapters to understand what he's talking about here. And you can't just pick a verse out or a chapter out. If the chapter doesn't give you the context enough to figure it out, read the, think about what the book's about. Some people today take a verse out of Daniel. All of a sudden it means what's going to happen next week in Russia. What's the book about? Not about what's happened in the 21st century. It's about Daniel and the kingdoms back there and what was going on and the prophecies of when the Israelites were going to fall and when they were going to be restored and on and on. That's what the book's about. Get the context. And on up to the biggie is Old Testament versus New Testament. There's lots of verses in the Old Testament that say stone this person or that person or you can't eat this or you can't eat that. You just take that verse and people do. They call and say this says you can't eat pork. Toby and I assure them you can eat pork. It's okay. Look at the context. You're in the wrong chapter, the wrong testament. Okay. Um, so, that's important, the context. If you take everything literally and don't think about the context, you get all messed up. Matthew 6 6 says, When you pray, go into your closet. That's what the verse says. Now, can we apply that to make that a general rule? 
be a little tricky. You know, Sunday mornings we could say, Brother Doug's going to pray for us now, and we have a remote feed from his closet at home. So you'll hear him praying in his closet, but he's got to do Matthew 6, 6. No, we know better than that. You read the context, and he says, he's telling people, don't pray to be showy. Don't pray so everybody can hear you. Better just go in your closet where nobody hears you. So the context explains a whole lot of things. First uh, Corinthians seven one. It is good for a man not to marry. Thought I'd get an amen or two on that. You guys are all smart. That's what it says. It says it's good for a man not to marry. Does it mean that? No, you got to read the context. What situation is going on there? Okay, so the textual, get that context. Uh, then historical, sometimes you got to do that. There are some things that you think, what in the world is that talking about? Well, get you a Bible handbook or a study Bible and look at the history of it. Or the the archaeological Bible is a good one. gives you a lot of history and archaeological things. And once you see the context of it, and that is not very many. It's not much of the Bible, but some of it you need to know the historical context before you can understand. Context. Number three, you may have to investigate the original word uh, or the grammar of it. It may just, even with the context figured out, you still can't get, what's he talking about here? Uh, The easiest way to do that is read a couple of versions. It may be your version that's kind of difficult. So get another one. Get a simpler one. Get an NIV. Get a, a something like that and read it, and maybe that will make it very clear. Oh, okay, that's what he means. Just when it's stated in a little different way or uses a different translated word, uh, you might have to go up to something like Vine's Expository Dictionary, but figure out what that word or grammar means. Okay, if you do those three simple things, you can figure out almost everything. Now, I'm talking about what a verse means, all of that. If you're going to try to figure out the, the doctrine of uh, something very complicated, this doesn't work. But if you're just trying to figure out a verse, you don't need a whole lot. Just read it. Figure out the context. Make sure you know what the word means in the original word. Now, once you've got it figured out, I suggested two more things. Number four and five is to test your understanding. So number four is, now you've got it figured out, are there any contradictions to that? Because, see, the whole Bible agrees with itself. So if you figure out it means something, but it doesn't agree with something else that you know, then you've got a problem. Because Scripture doesn't contradict itself. And the Scripture means what it means. So if you figure out something that contradicts something else, then you know you're wrong. For instance... Read, uh, we won't take time to read. 1 Corinthians one seventeen. 1 Corinthians one seventeen. Paul said, I am glad that Christ didn't send me to baptize. Okay. The reason I picked that is I just got that in the mail this week. Somebody said, you don't need baptism because, 1 Corinthians one seventeen. Paul said, he wasn't sent to baptize. 
Okay? Somebody took that verse and decided what it meant to disprove everything else that the Bible says. Okay? So if you come to that conclusion, say, okay, if Paul wasn't supposed to baptize, then nobody needs to be baptized. Well, back up three verses. Verse 14, Paul says that everybody there was baptized. That'll give you a little problem. Why is everybody there baptized if baptism's not required? Well, Paul didn't say it wasn't required. He said he wasn't sent to physically immerse people. He did it sometimes, but he generally let other people do it. It says nothing about the efficacy or the necessity of baptism. Okay? If I was just thought of this, I was wrapping up my records for last year and closing the books on 2013. And I looked through our list of baptisms in 2013. And we had a bunch, I forget the exact number, but I think I only baptized two of them. Okay? That's good. That's fine. Well, we, we have friends and, and uh, family members and fathers and all that baptizing people. That's good. That's what Paul's saying there. I don't have to baptize somebody. Somebody shouldn't honor me for baptizing them. That's what they were doing in Corinth. That's what the context will tell you. Okay. So that's a clear contradiction. Well, Paul says this, I think it means this, but no, there's a whole bunch of stuff that says you do need to be baptized. So that can't mean that. I'm wrong. So check for contradictions. And last resort, real last resort, look at what some scholars say. Get you a commentary or a study Bible and see what some other people that have studied the Bible a whole lot say about it. Now, warning here is, and the reason I put it last resort, is because... These are all man's ideas. Anybody can write a commentary. Anybody can write a study Bible that's got enough time. Okay? They can put out anything they think. Okay? So they may give you some good ideas. And most of the stuff that you're checking on, you'll probably get a good idea. If you don't understand the history or something like that, most decent commentators will explain it to you and give you a little history and help you understand it. So... Uh, I think it's about that simple to understand basically what you're reading. Try to figure out some complicated doctrine. It may take you a little while longer, but just understanding the Bible is not that difficult. All right, the lesson is yours. This evening, if you're here and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd be happy to help you with that. If you have any need of this congregation, let's uh, have you come to the front. Let's stand and sing.